Welcome to Eastlake. We are an inclusive faith community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, seeking to live out a more just and life-giving spirituality in the modern world. We see faith as less about doctrines and dogmas demanding total agreement, but a life to be lived, enjoyed, and given away to others. What unites us is a growing awareness that life is a gift and love is the point. We welcome the entire human family, regardless of race, age, creed, physical abilities, marital or economic status, gender identity, or sexual orientation. So if you are curious and have come to see, if you are tired and have come to rest, if you are grateful and have come to share, if you are journeying and have come to grow, if you are wounded and have come to heal, if you are joyful and have come to shine, welcome home. Today, we hear from Kent Dobson as he begins our new series, The Great Patterns. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hey everybody, thanks for coming to East Lake and offering your attention to what I think will, I hope, will be an interesting and meaningful conversation over the next little bit. My name is Kent Dobson and I'm again honored to, to be one of the teaching uh, voices here at Eastlake and, and Eastlake has been an important part of my own spiritual growth and life with the relationships I have with, with, with many of you. And I guess the first thing I wanna say is that I'm, I'm really grateful. So we are beginning a series that I'm calling The Great Patterns. And if you, if you saw the introduction, you know a little of where, where I'm going with this. If not, I'll just reiterate some things. We live in an age where there is a glut of information. I mean, there's more information uh, at your fingertips right now as you're watching on your phone or on your laptop than at any point in human history. The, so the problem isn't information, the problem is meaning. How do we make sense of the information that we're inundated with? What are the structures of meaning that give shape to our lives? And that's, maybe we could say, is one of the major struggles in the, in the 21st century. And what I'd like to suggest is that we don't make meaning up, we discover where it already exists. We bump into it. We bump into meaning occasionally, in the sea of information, we could say. And human beings are, are, have always been oriented around meaning, from cave paintings to poetry to myths to stories to villages to um, meals and, and ceremonies and, and rituals. These, these were ways of staying in conversation with meaning. And what I'd like to suggest here is that there are patterns. And, and I wanna talk about four major patterns over the next four weeks. And I'm gonna give them to you here uh, at the beginning. The cosmic tree, that's what we're gonna be talking about today. The great mother, the um, sacred center, and the life-death-life cycle, or the life-death-life mystery, which we're gonna be talking about on Easter, timely. And these four patterns 
exist in human cultures around the world, no matter of language, geography, um, ethnicity, whatever, something of these great patterns has been part of the human story. And what the great patterns do, I'm going to use a fancier word here in a minute, but what, what, the, what the great patterns do is help us relate to the mystery of life. So they're like bridges between our personal experience or the experience we might be having as a culture, or as a subculture, our, our conscious awareness, and the great mysteries, the beyond, the unknown, the cosmos, um, the great mysteries. They're, and the patterns are bridges between the mystery of life and our awareness. And they help us make sense in, in the sea of chaos and confusion. Now, one question you might have is, why would we need these patterns now? I mean, come on, it's the 21st century. We have, we have digital representations of DNA and we know what the coronavirus looks like from an artistic and digital point of view. So why do, why do we need to look back? And part of what I'm saying is, part of what I'd like to say is that all right, so let's say human evolution is something like 2 million years old or older. And the 21st century, or let's say the 20th and 21st century, is absolutely nothing in terms of deep time. So the patterns that have helped shape us and helped given humanity meaning, the great patterns, have been around a very long time. And we ought not to be so arrogant as to just dismiss them and say, well, we've sort of grown up. I highly doubt it. The psyche moves at the pace of evolution. Even though we live in an age where there's exponential growth technologically, the psyche and the way it makes sense of the world moves at the pace of evolution. Um, we're two million years old right now. <laughs> the Bible was written yesterday from the psyche's point of view. So I think we still need to be in conversation with these with these patterns. Um, the other thing we might say is that, yes, we do need ways moving forward in the 21st century of uh, fresh imaginative ways of making meaning and of trying, trying to bump into or, or encounter meaning is maybe a better way of saying it. But my guess is they need to be in conversation with what has always been true. And that's why we need the great patterns. And I might just say beyond that, we need the great poems and the great um, myths and the great legends and the sacred texts and the sacred images and the sacred architecture that has helped, um, has, has helped us evolve, we could say, and also given us a sense of meaning. So that's my pitch, I guess, for the great patterns. Here's... I said I was going to use a fancier word. I'm going to. Another word for them is archetypes. An archetype is just an old pattern. That's all it is. And archetypes you don't make up. You don't say, hey, you know, I think I'm going to make up an archetype. No, it's like an energy, a pattern of energies that is channeled in a certain direction that has always been that way or as far as back as we can see. And to, and to get in that stream for a moment is to encounter the archetypal meaning of that particular energy in the form of a pattern. Now, I'm saying a lot of fancy 
academic sounding things. Let's be more simple here. There's a cruel stepmother in the Cinderella story. That's an archetype. We know it's true the moment we read about it. We don't say, wait a minute, there are no cruel stepmothers. This is news to me. We don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be explained to us. It just is because it's an archetype. And Disney would be out of business if there were no archetypes. Every single story, um, every single ride at Disneyland is really a channeling of a particular archetype. And we ought to be paying attention to these because it gives us windows into what it means to be human, into the complexity of, of the human psyche and the human experience. And it helps us relate to how we make sense of the world. In other words, meaning. So, um, maybe just a, a tiny bit of background. I first encountered the idea of these the four great archetypes um, or the four great patterns through the work of Thomas Berry in a book called The Great Work. Um, actually, it could be in another one, uh, one of his books. I'm not exactly sure. But Thomas Berry, who's a very forward-thinking cosmologist, uh, historian, philosopher, monk, on the very edge of, of, of Christianity, as all mystics are. He died a, a couple of years ago. But he argues that that the great patterns we still need right now, and, and he names them, I mean, he might have a, one or two more, but the four I'm interested in, the way he names them, the cosmic tree, the uh, sacred center, the great mother, and the life-death life cycle, he names them as such, and says that we need to be in conversation with them. So credit where credit is due. If you wanna dig a little deeper, check out the work of, of Thomas Berry. Um, he might be one of the more important spiritual, religious, ecologically grounded thinkers of the 20th century, even though he's um, maybe like all really interesting artists will find out over time just how important his work is. Uh, I don't think it's trickled down into, into the mainstream yet, which is fine. Um, okay, so today I wanna talk about the cosmic tree. And maybe the first thing I want to say about it is that we're just going to be exploring the general terrain. After all, if the cosmic tree is a pattern, or sometimes called the tree of life, is a pattern that is as old as humanity, what are we going to say about it in 20 minutes? <laughs> all we can do is kind of like, let's explore the terrain. And let's treat it as something sacred, um, meaning when I say that, I mean let's approach it with a posture of curiosity, of mystery, of wonder, of intrigue, the posture of what if I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> and maybe I have something to learn here, that kind of posture. That's the posture I'm going to have, try to have as a teacher. So we're just ex exploring the terrain and, and maybe, the, maybe one kind of observation I want to make here at the beginning is that I, I made a list of all of the places where a sacred tree or a tree of life appears in the great stories of humanity. Here's the list. Norse mythology, Mayan uh, mythology and storytelling, um, the um, Addis, I'm naming a specific god, um, that's where we get the tradition of cutting down a, an evergreen and bringing it inside. 
Uh, believe it or not, it's not from Christmas. Um, we sort of co-opted something that had been happening a while. Um, there's the tree of life, of course, in the Genesis story and also in the book of Revelation. I'm going to talk just a bit about that particular image. Um, and here are a bunch more. Very prominent in uh, many different Native American traditions, in the Persian tradition, in the Siberian tradition, in the Hindu tradition, and uh, also in the Greek, Greco-Roman where Mount Olympus, where the gods live, there's also a sacred or holy uh, tree right at the center of uh, Mount Olympus. So that's a survey of basically several continents and different people groups, some of whom never had contact with each other. So it tells you something. The pattern is a pattern. It's a deep pattern. And Maybe you're familiar with the book, The Giving Tree. The title alone tells you the author is playing with archetypes, whether they mean to or not. The moment you say The Giving Tree connects us to every single culture that I just uh, mentioned. So um, th this kind of overview survey tells us, yep, we ought, to, we ought to pay attention to this particular image and what it might have to offer us in the way of meaning, what it might expose about who we are. Let me give you one more kind of metaphor as to why we might look at this and why we might look to nature or why we might look to a tree as a symbol and as a pattern of meaning. So the, the metaphor comes from uh, medieval mysticism, really. And here's the phrase. Um, as within, so without. Or something like, another way of putting it is, as it is within, so it is without. Or what is within is also without. Or you can reverse it. What is out, what is external, what is true out there is true in. And the image is that inside us, every human being is a cosmos, is our constellations and stars and gods and goddesses and and Saturn and, and um, a whole universe inside. And so when we peer on the out, outside world, the external, when we bump into the external from stars to trees to mountaintops to streams to other human beings to communities to villages to architecture, when we bump into the external, it reveals something about the internal. And you could say it, it works the other way around. When we really dive into who we are beneath the ego, that, that initial flash of consciousness, when we dive into the underbelly of who we are, we, we also um, learn something about what's external. <laughs> the shapes and patterns we find within mirror the shapes and patterns that we find without. See, this idea that every human being contains a cosmos within is a very sacred idea and I think ought to be kept alive. So when we're in conversation with a great pattern like the cosmic tree, we're having a conversation about what's true inside as much as we're having a conversation about what's true outside. And the line between the two gets very blurry. The Celtics used to call the space between a thin place, a thin place, where the worlds blur, <laughs> internal and external, human, divine, um, consciousness and mystery, you know, human consciousness and the great 
consciousness of mystery, if there is such a thing. Those are the thin places. And the great patterns help us get close to these thin places where we bump into and discover uh, where meaning already exists. So what about the cosmic tree? I want to start, that was my introduction. <laughs> that was like a 15-minute introduction. I promise you, this won't be a super long teaching, um, although it could be. So um, I want to start in an unusual place and, and a place where the great myths do not start, and that is with science. So I read a book a couple of years ago, I have it with me, called The Hidden Life of Trees, highly recommend, uh, written by a, a German, Peter Wollenben, Wollenben. obviously my German is outstanding. Uh, the Hidden Life of Trees, it's a New York Times bestseller, and he's a, a forest management uh, ecologist, and is sort of reflecting on a lifetime of working with trees. And I want to start in a scientific place because the, the great patterns are in conversation with what's real. <laughs> in other words, science. Even though they never had that word, the, the ancient storytellers didn't have a word like science. They still were in conversation with what is ultimately true and what's real. And there's something interesting, and I think a kind of sacred opportunity to, um, to bump into the world through a scientific lens. And I'm mixing things. Usually these are supposed to be kept separate. Science is one thing, the sacred is the other. I don't have such a, a belief. So I just wanna share two stories from The Hidden Life of Trees because I would like us to feel for a moment how mysterious these beings really are that have been a part of human culture for as long as we can remember. I, I'm a, Part of my training is in, in, in archaeology, in graduate school. And um, in the oldest cultures we know of, they were in deep relationship with, with trees. And an intimate part of how people worshipped. Hold on, i got to take care of my dog here. Thank you. Um, how people worshipped, how they buried their dead. Um, how they ate, um, how they made houses or dwellings. Uh, in other words, deep conversation with trees. So um, they had a much more intimate knowledge or conversation with them. And that's largely been lost. You know, we, even the tree in your backyard, you probably don't talk with very often. Although at the very end, I'm gonna recommend you do. Um, but in the modern world, we're largely having that conversation through a scientific lens. And what's interesting about the hidden life of trees is it's blurring the line between, really, you could say mysticism and science. To encounter even the very facts of these beings can bring us to our knees. And so here are two stories. The first comes from the plains of the savanna. And there's a tree in the savanna. Actually, it runs the the tree actually lives in the entire Rift Valley from uh, Turkey all the way to Mozambique and probably in other uh, places around this, the, largest, um, the largest fault line on the earth, which is the Rift Valley. The acacia tree is really at the heart of, of this um, scar on the face of the earth. Scar is a very human way of putting it, but very natural fault line. And the acacia tree is that 
tree you might see in pictures of Kenya. It has a kind of flat bottom, the, the, the foliage kind of full, almost like a mushroom and then comes up from there. And they can be massive or they can be quite small. Um, and they sort of sparsely populate in little pockets out on the, the plains of the savanna. And what they noticed first was that giraffes, who love to eat acacia leaves, would start to snack on them and then kind of collectively would move on, but not move to the next tree. They would move 100 yards away or sometimes move upwind to the next set of trees. And this is very odd behavior because um, nature is actually quite conservative and you don't want to expend energy unnecessary energy. So just go to the next tree over when you're done dining. And what they noticed was, first of all, that acacia trees, like all trees, have defense mechanisms and would release toxins to, to protect themselves from the giraffe and from other insects, but in this case from giraffes. And that communication process takes some time. You're like we have a nervous system and trees have a nervous system. Again, as within, so without. There's a conversation happening here. Um, so we have a nervous system, trees have a, have a nervous system, but there's a slower, so it takes some time. And then eventually the toxins are released. But what they didn't know until recently is that they also released a scent. And that scent um, would be sent out on the winds. Trees are talking to each other. And I am not making this up, you know. They communicate through scent. Human beings communicate through scent too. That's why things like e-harmony, <laughs> it doesn't always work. Like the profile matches, but the scent does not. And I mean that very literally. Um, we're just less conscious of it. So these trees would release this scent in the air. The other acacia trees would smell it and begin to produce the toxins. And the giraffes, of course, being wise creatures of evolution, um, realize that, if, well, if they went 100 yards, the scent, I mean, that they're probably not thinking this consciously as far as we know, but they, over time, they, they were able to, to realize the scent doesn't travel that far. Now, who would have thought that trees talk to each other through scent? I mean, we're so human-centric right now in our culture. We think we have consciousness. We're the only beings with consciousness. We know what we're talking about. We can think. And the rest of the animals are just blindly trying to survive and plants and animals. And it doesn't appear to be that way. They talk to each other. That is freaking cool. So the fact that human beings have always had a sacred relationship with trees, it could be that out on the plains of the savannah, those who were paying attention knew this long before the scientists did. Here's example number two. The same uh, ecologist here, uh, uh, Peter, 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 um, uh, used to manage forests by, by trying to create a larger canopy so the trees would grow taller. And so they would take the weaker trees, what they thought were weaker, weaker trees, and strip the bark off around the base of the tree. That way it cannot pass sugars back and forth. It eventually dies. Because they thought, by the way, trees are always in competition. That's also in, has been called into question. And like, it's a survival of the fittest and they're all racing to the light. That is actually not the case. Read the book. 
Anyway, what he realized is that many of these trees survive. Like, what is happening? They, they cannot pass the sugars they need from the canopy to the roots. Physically impossible. Until they discovered that the community of trees discovers through the root system and also sometimes through fungal networks that are independent beings from the tree itself, they discover there's somebody suffering and they send nutrients to the roots of the struggling tree. Again, who would have thought? Hey East Lake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. So, speaking of the intelligence of creatures, so who would have thought? Not only will trees help other trees survive um, through this kind of mechanism of communicating in the wind, they'll actually give up nutrients. We call that sacrifice. <laughs> Who would have thought trees sacrifice for one another? Sometimes they will even try to keep a trunk alive after the tree has fallen. And the mushrooms will all move in and begin to do their magic and they'll still be passing nutrients, the roots. See, I think that calls into question what we even mean by survival of the fittest. Sure, that, there's some truth to that, but it seems to be much more like the survival of the cooperative. And that's the big task of the 21st century from a human point of view. If we are to survive, if the planet is to survive, how, how might we cooperate? That's the question. And what I'd like to suggest is that the cosmic tree is an image of such a thing. It's an image of such a thing. It's a holistic image. So in the ancient world, one of the reasons why the cosmic tree was at the center of the cosmos, and, that's, and sometimes they would even imagine what we now call the earth as a tree. And so what's happening here? What's happening is that it's a symbol of the branches reaching up to the heavens, the branches um, touching the divine, the cosmos, the mystery, the spirit, union, oneness, and and even if you think, I just was lifting my hands like this and I realized this is the posture of worship for most cultures on the planet, this kind of like open-handed, where do we get this idea? Well, in part, we got it by being in conversation with, with the cosmic tree. So that's true. The center, um, the trunk, the body of the tree is that kind of earthly domain, the place where we walk around on the earth. Um, it's the place that is most visible and most easily accessible. So you could call it upper world up here, branches, leaves reaching into the heavens and the cosmos, communicating in the mysteries of the winds of the air, the, the trunk being the place of the earth, earth culture, 
human culture, um, the place that we share, the, con the connecting place of the ground that we share. And the roots, of course, go down into the underworld, down into the mystery, the place where, where nutrients and, and, um, and water is brought up mysteriously from, from the deeper regions. Again, a picture of the earth, a picture of the cosmos. So let's say the far reaches of space, um, the black hole, all the way down to the, the, the tiniest um, electrons and atoms and quarks. How small can we go? This kind of, uh, that's the image of the cosmic tree. Upper world, middle world, underworld. And to bump into this as an image already strikes us as, as meaningful. And even if you think, if you, if you ask the question, what is a, what's a whole spirituality look like? And I know spirituality is a word that, that continues to be kind of cheapened. It's like everything can be spiritual. And, and part of me says yes. And part of me says, well, no. <laughs> um, yes and no. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a bit of a paradox. It's like, um, <clears throat> no. Some things are more spiritual than others, or some, some activities or ways of being or approaches feel more sacred than others. And I think there's something important about, about that division. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Um, to bump into the cosmic tree as an image and to ask a question of what does a healthy spirituality look like, the image itself seems so powerful and so obvious. We need a conversation with the upper world Spirit, union, oneness, God, the mysteries, the cosmos, this posture of awe. We need a middle world. How do we actually live? How do we move around? What's the soil like? What's the ground like? What's the terrain like? What's the territory like? Middle world, day world, jobs, um, economy, um, family, conversation, and we need an underworld. Something of us needs to be deeply rooted somewhere, grounded somewhere. That's that the word, the old word for that used to be soul. Spirit, um, kind of cultural identity, middle world, and soul. Soul as in the, the deepest and wildest, uh, most unique essence of who we are that's, that's grounded somewhere in the mysteries of the underworld, you know? Um, what does it look like? It looks like spirit and soul. You know, it's the place where these two worlds touch. And the cosmic tree in these stories and legends and, and parables and drawings is trying to remind us of that. We are such beings, soul and spirit, and I don't know what to call the, the, the day world, the middle world, the ordinary. We're ordinary. We touch the heavens and we're grounded in a kind of depth that um, we're rarely even conscious of. So it's an image of a very holistic kind of spirituality. You could even ask yourself, this would be a challenge. Um, what if I spent some time asking, what is my relationship with these three? Even if we wouldn't even use the exact same definitions, what's my relationship with spirit? What's my relationship with kind of day world life? You know, um, 
living and moving and interacting in the culture and the world and, and the natural world in which I find myself. What, what, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> what the heck am I doing with my life? And what is my relationship with the soul, with the underworld, with the hidden regions of who I am? That's far deeper than kind of how I present myself out, out in, in what we call culture. And you might find yourself wondering something like, actually, I don't have much of a relationship with spirit. I don't have much of a relationship with a word like prayer. Or you might find, actually, I don't have much of a relationship with soul, with the mysteries, with the underworld. I don't really know that much. I've never really done a kind of inner work. I'm afraid of what's down there, which all of us ought to be a little afraid of what's down there, um, both in terms of gifts and shadow. Or it could be more simple, like, actually, I just need to get my freaking day world sorted out. I need a job. I need, I need to write this relationship that can be righted, or I need to end this relationship that, that can't. It's all part of the cosmic tree. We cannot separate ourselves out anymore. That's what the image is saying. You are the cosmos contained within. <laughs> you are the sacred tree, and the sacred tree is the thing that we find ourselves in. How might that change? And one of the things that I, I'd like to suggest, and this is like homework. I hate to give homework. No, I don't. I actually enjoy giving homework um, because it's homework that will never be checked. It will never be graded. <laughs> it's an invitation. And here's the invitation. I think to get closer to the symbol of the sacred tree, the cosmic tree, we need a relationship with an actual tree or trees, or tree beings. And here's the, here's the invitation. I, I'd like to invite you to go out on the land somewhere, a wild place, or a semi-wild place, or a park, or um, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, your access to large trees is much more <laughs> than if you live in the, in the Southwest. And the invitation is very simple. Wander out somewhere until you feel drawn to a particular tree. Don't try to choose it ahead of time. You could even be kind of mystical about it um, and allow yourself to be drawn. What would, that, what would that be like if I opened up my heart, my mind, my imagination, my senses, my scent, and allowed myself to be drawn and really be drawn to a tree? and spend some time with it, talk with it, introduce yourself to it. It's kind of a good idea to do this in a place where you're, you'll not be interrupted because otherwise you'll, you'll feel kind of, at least when I, I've done this before, I'm not making this up, um, you feel sort of embarrassed, maybe like, why am I talking to a tree? I'm kind of insane. No, you might actually be finding yourself uh, in a place that's very ancient and very old and very real and very meaningful. So introduce yourself. And notice what you notice about the tree. Um, honor the tree and, and try to notice how it, it might view the world or how it might be situated in the world or something like that. Converse with the tree. You could even lay down on the earth. Rilke has this lovely line where um, he says, the image is actually of, of, the, of the author or the, the poet here, the speaker in the poem, laying on the earth and and he says, through the empty branches, the sky remains. So you can just see him laying on the earth, the poet laying on the earth and looking through these empty branches. It's a wintertime image. And he says, be earth now. Like, 
and, and in a way, he's, the, the image is almost like, be like a tree. Allow yourself to lay on the earth like a tree and to find roots, to, to allow your imagination to, to sink down into the ground and to, and to feel your own branches reaching up to the heavens, to feel connected to the cosmic tree. That's what I think one thing I think the poet is saying here. So go spend some time with a tree. Introduce yourself to a tree. Lay down on the earth next to the tree. Try to feel the wholeness of your being, your own roots and branches and trunk, in conversation with the wholeness of another being, which is in conversation with something much larger, which is something like the wholeness of the universe, the outer reaches of the cosmos, and the infinitesimal smallness of the very microscopic, that kind of holistic image. Imagine now in the tree. Spirit, soul, middle room. Here's a PS to the teaching today. Um, one is real practical. And it's, it's going to be obvious the moment I say it. If we cut the, all the trees down, um, it's hard to know how we would survive and how many plants and animals and insects would survive. And that needs to be said. At no point in human history have there been almost 8 billion people on the planet living in on every continent. And what was unfathomable to our ancestors is within our grasp that we could mine and exploit and cut down what has been for human beings a sacred symbol since the dawn of humanity. It's possible we could cut them all down and, and we need to be conscious of that. And we need to, in our own small way, try to be protectors um, of little patches of forest and parks and large sections of, of virgin forest. We need to try to be protectors. And, I, and I'm not like, I'm not saying we should never cut a tree down again. Actually, I think, or at least our ancestors engaged in that process in a sacred way. I'm saying that we need more of that. We need a sacred reciprocity. A given, a given a take instead of just a take. And we can't have that without conversation. We can't have that without being in conversation with actual living beings that, that we might call trees. So um, that's a statement, I think, that I'd like to just make. And the question is, how committed are we to that? Because you might all agree and say, yeah, that makes sense. But, um, you know, politics and laws and the way we live and all that might be challenged. And... Um, and are we up to the challenge? The other thing I'd like to say is an image from the Bible. So the Hebrew Bible, what's called the Old Testament, and the New Testament are in conversation. They're between worlds, and they're separated by about 500 years or so. <clears throat> but they're in dialogue, or we could say at least the very least, the New Testament is... is um, birthed from, born from the images of the Old Testament. So in the, in the very first garden, there's the famous tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another word for it would, might just be the tree of consciousness. That when we dine at the tree of consciousness, we become aware of our, of our own mortality, of our own impermanence, 
And it's a terrifyingly beautiful gift in a way. We now have to live with knowledge of our own mortality, which quickens us. It, it sharpens us. Um, it, it, it hurts us and opens us up to the beauty of life through its impermanence. So yeah, that's the main story. They dine from, from our ancestors dined from the tree of consciousness and they knew good from evil. Even if we could now in the 21st century have a very complex conversation about what we mean by good and what we mean by evil, and I would just say, the fact that we're still having it tells us there's something there. We've eaten from the tree and we're moral creatures and time to face up to it. But there's another tree in the garden called the tree of life. In other words, the cosmic tree. It's the sustaining tree. By giving itself away, the whole universe, the whole garden, the whole cosmos is sustained. And what's interesting is that the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, describes a kind of new Jerusalem. This is, again, we're dealing with highly symbolic language. And in the middle of Jerusalem is a tree, and it's the tree of life. It's a return to the garden in a way, but not, well, actually return is not the right word. It's a moving forward, that's what I would say. Not a return. It's, it's not let's go back to the womb, back to paradise. It's actually let's continue forward. And what's so powerful to me is that the author says that the tree of life, which stands in the middle of the city of Jerusalem, so a tree at the center of nature, in a city symbolically at the heart of culture, and it's giving fruit away for the healing of the nations. That's the image. That what's needed now from, uh, the book of Revelation is, is what's called an apocalyptic book, and, and apocalypse, all that actually means is to reveal, it reveals. And the book of Revelation is revealing now that the tree of life, the cosmic tree, is needed now more than ever for the healing of the nations. What, what is needed is a coming together and a dining from the tree of life, from the cosmic tree, um, from this sustaining and holistic image of spirit and soul and middle world. We dine at that table and that's needed for the future of humanity because we're so divided through nations and ethnicities and ideologies, or at least we think we are. And what's needed is a taste of that healing fruit. So how do we get there? I don't know. I don't know. That's what's so provocative about an image like this. But I'd like to suggest by turning our attention to the sacred image, it might inform us in some way. It might inform us in some way. And by keeping actual living trees alive on this planet, or the Amazon basin are alive, or the virgin forests of British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest, and those that are still intact in Alaska, and the little patches that have been cut down but are recovering now, all over the, the United States, all over North America, and all over the world. It's not all bad news, if you read carefully. Maybe by dining in the presence of these of, of the trees that, that are an image of wholeness. We might find our way into a much more healing way of being in the world with our neighbors, our human neighbors, with whom we share the planet, with whom we breathe in 
the oxygen we need for survival like every other human being on the planet, putting us uh, in this kind of deeply intertwined, interconnected reality. That's what I got for you today. I hope you heard a hint, a guess, a clue. I hope something about this image you found provocative or interesting or challenging. What would it look like to turn toward this pattern? What would it look like for you to deepen your relationship with a tree somewhere out there um, to allow yourself to be shaped by the pattern and informed by the pattern and potentially bump into some meaning from the pattern that you didn't have before? Peace. I will see you soon. Hang in there for the rest of the series. It's going to be wild and interesting and challenging. Be well. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.